All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Acts chapter 24. And we have been in uh, the same story for several weeks now. It takes up a, a good chunk uh, of these chapters. So I'm not going to recap the whole story, but I at least want to remind you where we were uh, last week. So Paul's been arrested. Um, they have not been able to convict him of any charges. So they, they brought... Um, they, they were really frustrated. The Jews were really frustrated. They're getting angry. 40 men or over 40 men actually uh, decided to take this vow together. They weren't going to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. And they, they uh, were going to convince the Roman official to send Paul back to a trial. So they'd have to travel down these narrow roads where they were going to ambush him and kill him. Well, uh, someone finds out, word gets to, to Paul and then to this Roman official. So then uh, the Roman official orders 470 soldiers march Paul out of there. They get him to, uh, to the governor, to Felix. So the Jewish lawyer, Tertullus, comes up. He lays out his case uh, against Paul for the Jews. Paul makes his defense, and we come to verse 22 of chapter 24. So here we are. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Perseus Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So Felix didn't convict Paul, right? The tribune didn't find him guilty. The Sanhedrin couldn't convict Paul of any charges. The, the Jewish lawyer Tertullus that we heard about last week, he threw up these charges. They were not substantiated, but Felix was not willing to release Paul from prison. And part of this may have been to curry favor with the Jews. And, and like we read there, uh, he also hoped that Paul would, would bribe him. He'd give him some money. Uh, so Felix postpones the verdict under this pretext of um, wanting and, and waiting for the tribune's advice. And yet we never actually see that happening. So I don't even know if that was, that's really what he wanted. Uh, but, but in verse 22, uh, Felix, he, he leaves Paul in prison. He gives them some liberties, right? Their prisons were uh, not like our prisons today, right? There was no exercise time in the yard. There was no uh, cable TV. Uh, you couldn't get like a, a law degree while in prison. Uh, there was no library. They, they, weren't even, they weren't even given meals. Uh, they were dependent on others for food and clothing and whatever, whatever they wanted, right? If Paul wanted books, someone had to bring books to him. Uh, if he wanted a blanket so he could be warm at night, someone had to bring that to him. So Paul's friends were able to come to him and attend to his needs. And then in verse 24, at some point, Felix and his wife, Drusilla, they come to see Paul. Now, Antonius Felix was uh, the first slave in the Roman Empire to uh, become a governor of a Roman province. And it, it sounds at first like this really cool rags-to-riches story of, of hard work and grit. 
Um, but it's not. It, it's a sketchy story of, of grit um, and, and, and underhanded hard work. Um, Antonius and his brother Paulus were freed by Antonia, the mother of Prince Claudius, who would become, uh, he would be a future Caesar. So Paulus and Claudius were really, really close. And when, when Claudius became the emperor, Paulus asked him to make his brother, Antonius Felix, a government official in Palestine under Cumanus. Uh, but then Cumanus was disposed, and one historian wrote this about Felix. He said that Felix obtained Cumanus's office through shameful intrigue. Drusilla was his third wife. Um, he was her second husband. Drusilla was the daughter of Herod Agrippa. And, and by all accounts, she was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Felix saw her. And, and he, he wanted her um, as his wife from the moment he saw her. Um, but she was married at the time. So he, he convinced her to leave her, her current husband in order to marry him. So Felix is not a good guy, right? He, he's, not, he's not a man of integrity. Um, he, he's not a man of high moral character. Drusilla, she, she wasn't great either, right? No, one, no one's daughter, uh, you, you wouldn't want your daughter to grow up and be like her uh, one Roman historian said this about Felix. He said, uh, Felix is a master of cruelty and lust who exercised the powers of a king with the slave of a spirit. So what do, we, what do we find Paul doing with them? Well, it's no surprise. He's talking with them about Jesus. And if you've been with us even for just a short time in Acts, um, you know that this is what Paul does. We, we followed Paul through his three missionary journeys, so we aren't surprised at all to see that Paul is yet again speaking about Christ. And that's a theme that we see uh, through our time in Acts with, with Paul, but really with the whole early church as they're speaking about Christ over and over again. And it's helpful in Scripture to look for reoccurring themes. Um, but it's also helpful to see what is unique. Um, and this is a story that we've been in, like I said, for several weeks now. Paul's not on a missionary journey anymore. Right? But Paul is already speaking about Jesus. He's always ready to speak about Jesus. Place after place um, on his missionary journey, he would look for a synagogue. Right? He would go into the synagogue, he'd preach to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. But lately, the setting has been unique. Right? We don't call this a missionary journey, but he is still acting like a missionary. Right? The setting is different, but he's doing the same thing. He's talking about Christ. He cannot help it. Right? He loves Jesus. This is where his conversations go. So for you, when you, have, when you have space, when you have time, when you have freedom to talk about whatever you want, where your conversations go, right? Where does your mind just take you? I hate to bring this up, but at the height of COVID, um, I couldn't help but talk about COVID-related issues. Like, it, it just had this gravitational pull. I remember going into a couple different social situations thinking, I'm not going to talk about COVID. I'm not going to talk about COVID. And somehow, I was the person that started the conversation about whatever it was I saw in the news or read or experienced. It, it, it just had this gravitational pull. And, and praise God, it isn't that way anymore, even though I just brought it up yet again. Um, <laughs> But, but what in your life, what in your life now has that gravitational pull that you just can't help but talk about it? You can't help but think about it, right? Maybe for you it's work, right? Maybe you love your job, right? It's challenging. You find your work fulfilling. Your, your, uh, the, the culture of your workplace is, is healthy. It's vibrant. Um, so you just can't help but talk about it. I had a friend that worked for a Portland Bolt company. 
all they did is make bolts, right? Like every bridge you drive around here, those massive bolts, they made those bolts. And my friend, it was crazy how much a guy could talk about bolts. Like he just loved talking about bolts. They were always on his mind, probably not on your mind. But maybe, maybe for you it's your kids or your grandkids or, or it's this book that you've been into or, I don't know, a hobby. Well, for Paul it was Jesus, right? That was his passion. Jesus wasn't just the, the, the flavor of the week for Paul. The, the gospel wasn't his latest hobby that he was getting really into. No, people coming to know Jesus was his passion. The, the church growing in Christ was his passion. And, man, that's what I want my life to be like, right? When I'm with church people, man, I, I want to be a person that just talks about Jesus. When I'm with people that don't go to church, that, that don't necessarily believe in Jesus, man, I want to talk about Jesus. Not, not that I'm trying to force something, but because I just love Christ. So is Jesus your passion? And, and if you're here today and you aren't a Christian, obviously the answer is no, but man, we are so glad that you're here. For, for whatever reason you're here, whatever God is doing in you, we're glad that you are here. But yeah, if you're not a Christian, you'd say, no, Jesus isn't my passion. And, and if you are a Christian, we know the answer is supposed to be yes. And, and yet we all find ourselves struggling at different times. Right? You can be committed to going to church, right? To committed to regularly reading the Bible, uh, serving in some type of ministry, but somehow that passion that you had for Christ at one time or at many times, maybe right now in this season it's lacking, or, or maybe actually it's been many, many seasons where it's been lacking. Well, the answer isn't try harder, right? For so many of us, that's our default. That's my default in life. It's, it's try harder, figure it out, work hard, maybe feel guilt, and then put in more effort. I think the answer is to savor Jesus. You remember that story with, with Martha and Mary? Martha invites Jesus over and some others to her house, and, and Martha's trying to be a good host, right? So she's running all over the place, getting food ready, making sure people have what they need, right? She's, she's kind of stressed out um, about all these people, and certainly Jesus is in her house. She wants it to be great. And then her sister Mary is there, and Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet, right? She's not doing anything to help Martha. She's just sitting there listening to Jesus. Whatever he's talking about, she is dialed in. And Martha's running around, and she's getting agitated as she looks at Mary. And finally, she had enough. She said, Jesus, can you tell my good-for-nothing sister to get off her hiney and help me out? And Jesus looks at her and says, actually, Mary's chosen the, the good portion is what he says, the, the right thing, right? Spiritually, we can do all these things that, that on the surface, they're, they're good, they're right things, even biblical things, right? We can serve on the board of a ministry. We can be committed to going to, to this Bible study. Uh, we, can, we can give of our time, of our resources to, to good gospel um, ministries, Right? We go to church all the time. Right? Maybe, maybe you're even one of those that on vacation, if it's a Sunday, you find a church to go to. We can do all those things and a ton of other things and yet still miss Jesus. Uh, man, a, a lot of people in the last couple of months have, have just been so caring towards me. And I, I just, I so appreciate um, the love of this church. But one friend in particular, he, he keeps asking me a bunch of questions, but, but there's been a theme of questions that he keeps asking. And, and I could boil them all down to this. He, he'll ask me, basically, are, are you dating your wife, Greg? 
Are you dating Lindsay? And if you're married, you know how critical it is that, that you date your spouse. And, and even me just, just mentioned that question. Maybe that was like an arrow straight in your heart going, oh, man, I'm not. We haven't been on a date in forever. Right? You know it's critical, and yet we get busy. Right? If you're married, you mean to go on dates, you mean to continue to date your spouse and continue to get to know them and grow in your love for them, and yet, man, those dates can get crowded out on the calendar. And similarly, and I'm not going to say, are you dating Jesus, but, um, but man, are you stopping? Are you savoring Jesus? Right? If you say that you are a Christian, are you like Mary? just sitting at the feet of Jesus, marveling at who Jesus is, right? All our Bible reading is great, and don't, don't get me wrong. If you're a Christian trying to follow Jesus without scripture, that's like trying to swim without water. It, it, it can't happen. It doesn't make any sense, right? But we can have, we can have these goals. That I'm going to read the Bible this much, but man, I find myself having to just regularly ask, has this just become a, a checkbox item in my heart? So are you rushed in, in your time with the Lord? Are you preoccupied? Or are you letting God's word take root in your heart? Right? In reading scripture, it, man, is this, in what I'm reading right now, is it helping me know Jesus? Is it something that we're saturated in? I want to show you a, a video. This, is, uh, this has been out for a long time now. This is a recording, an audio recording of a pastor really just going off about who Jesus is. Um, and there's someone at some point put some different graphics to it um, to, to help us engage with the audio. Um, and, and I do want to warn you, there is one or two, two spots where it shows scenes from Passion of the Christ that are a little graphic. So um, just know uh, if you've seen it, you'll obviously be totally fine. But let's watch this video. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's 
a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I love that video. Uh, I've seen it dozens and dozens of times. I don't know if you've seen it before. There's actually an extended version that, that's like seven minutes. I'm like, ah, I'm going to do the three-minute one. Um, I, I love it when he says, I wish I could describe him. <laughs> like, as he's going off, and yet he's right. Like, how, how do we, we cannot fully describe who Jesus is. In the video, he talks about Jesus being our great high priest, right? We, we, needed, we needed this great high priest, this mediator between us and God because of sin. So Jesus, as our great high priest, man, he invites everyone, he invites anyone to respond to the good news. He says this in John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right, scripture tells us in Hebrews 4 that this, this high priest of ours is able to sympathize with us because he's, he was tested in every way like we are, right? Because he's human. Here, here's just a few, few things of our, uh, of our king that you would not expect of a king. It says he wept with those who wept. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced. Scripture tells us he was hungry. He was weary. He was forsaken. He was betrayed. He was whipped. He was mocked. He was crucified. Right, that's our king. That, that's my king. I was reading Revelation this week. Revelation describes Jesus as both the lion and the lamb, which is so wild to, like, how, how is he both this, this lamb-like lion and this lion-like lamb, right? Both majestic and powerful, and yet the one who laid down his life as a sacrifice for us, right? Slain, slain for our sin to save us from sin. There's that scene where John sees this lamb that's been slain, and yet the lamb is is standing, right? It's been it's been slain for our sin, and yet it is it, it is victorious. It has not been defeated. But but the gospel doesn't stop there, right? That that he he died for our sin and he's conquered sin. And as I, I've been thinking about this all week, uh, wondering if if when I speak about salvation, do I do I too often only speak about being saved from sin, right? And and it is true, we're saved from sin because of Jesus' death when we place our faith in Him. That alone is good news. But the good news goes beyond our debt being paid for. Right? Yes, Jesus saves from sin, and he saves us 
into fellowship with him. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called into, into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the forgiveness of sin gets everything out of the way so that this fellowship, right, this, this real relationship with Jesus who was just described to us so that that can happen. And I was, I was reading about our fellowship with Jesus and just one very like small corner of our fellowship with Jesus, though it's, though it's huge at the same time, uh, the joy that he gives us. And all week I've just been, just been thinking about what Jesus said in John 15, uh, 11. He, he said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And I was reading uh, this pastor, and what, what he wrote was that Jesus, in, in giving us his joy, he doesn't just give us his joy, but he gives us his capacity for joy too, right? So he, he doesn't just fill you up with a little bit of joy capacity that you have. No, he gives you his capacity as he fills you with his joy. And I just thought, man, how many times have I read John 15 and, and thought, oh, man, Jesus gives me joy. That's really cool and then moved on, right? Without even really thinking about how substantial it is what Jesus is saying he does in us, right? And that's just like one little minute rabbit trail you can go down in, in thinking about who Jesus is. So I ask, do you see and savor Jesus, right? Does the good news that Jesus loves you, that he loves the world, that any person can be forgiven and be in fellowship with him if they'll place their faith in him, does that just stop you in your tracks? It did for Paul, certainly on the road when he met Jesus, but I think it continued happening for Paul, that he was regularly, he was just blown away by who Jesus is. This is why he talked about Jesus all the time, right? And you know what it's like to be excited about something. You just can't help but talk about it. Second unique part of this story is what, what Paul shares. And maybe you're thinking, wait, he shares the gospel. Yes, you, you got me there. Um, that part is not unique. But, but Luke tells us what he talks about with Felix and uh, Drusilla. He talks about faith in Christ. He talks about righteousness. He talks about self-control and judgment. Paul knew his audience, right? And he spoke to what they needed. It says that he reasoned with them. I'm sure uh, that he reasoned with them from scriptures. We've seen him do throughout the book of Acts. But he, he contextualized the gospel message to his audience. And by that, I don't mean that, that certain pieces of the gospel would have been hard for Felix to hear, so he softened those pieces. No, I think he does exactly the opposite. Uh, Paul Paul goes to them, and, and we don't get the exact words. Luke doesn't give them to us. He just gives us a summary of him talking to them. But, but, but we see these themes of, of righteousness, of self-control, of judgment. And those are not light and fluffy, non-offensive gospel topics. And while I say that this is unique, we actually have seen this a number of times from Paul and, and from others in Acts, where they use different entry points to be able to speak with someone about the gospel. With Paul, we, we probably think of him over and over again, like I said, going to the synagogue, reasoning from the scriptures, speaking to the, the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. But even in Acts 17, you might remember the story where he's, he's wandering around um, it, where, where the philosophers were. He sees all these idols. He comes to this idol that says the unknown God. And his, his heart is just broken for these people. So that's his starting point. Right? He says, I, I've noticed that, that you are serious uh, about your worship to all of these idols. Yeah, let me talk about this one. 
you say this, this unknown God, I want to tell you who he is. And then he goes on and he quotes their poets, but he's, he's looking for different inroads so that he can present the same gospel message. Paul was great at doing that. I already told you Felix was not a great guy, and I assume that's, uh, that's why um, his, his horrible deeds is why Paul zoned in on righteousness. There's a story that uh, this, this historian Josephus tells. I think I talked about Josephus a couple weeks ago. Basically, Felix was having a problem with the high priest at the time because the high priest was calling Felix out on his behavior, on, on his sin, and Felix had had enough of it. Uh, he, he talked um, with the high priest's best friend, right? Like how, how sketchy. He goes to the best friend and convinces that best friend to help him get the high priest killed. I, I don't know if it was a bribe. I don't know if it was a threat or what. But he, he ends up hiring these terrorists who hid daggers under their cloaks. And, and with, with the knowledge of the best friend, he knew when to attack um, this high priest. And they killed him. But it didn't stop there, right? This group had its way with Jerusalem, and people were freaked out to even go into the streets, all because Felix didn't like this high priest that called out his behavior. So no wonder Paul spoke with him about righteousness. He also spoke with him about self-control. And I told you, Felix saw Drusilla. He, he lusted after her. He coveted this other man's wife. He schemed until she was his. And he talked about judgment, right? Felix needed to know that, yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus died for you, and you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. Felix, you need to leave your sin and come to Christ, right? And just to be clear, Felix, those who don't trust in Jesus will face Jesus not as their Savior, but as their judge, right? It is critical that, that we speak about Jesus' great love and acceptance and that we explain that trusting in Jesus means repenting. It means turning from your sin and yourself and turning to Jesus, following him, following his ways. So Paul's entry point to share the gospel may have varied, but the message was always the gospel message. And here's the last unique aspect of this story. We're left hanging with Felix. We don't know what happened to him. Right? We don't know that he ever trusted in Jesus. If I had to bet on it, my bet is that he did not turn to Jesus. And I think Luke does this so that as readers, we stop and we're forced to ask ourselves, man, how do I respond to the good news? Felix was well acquainted with the way. Verse 22, it said he had an accurate knowledge of the way. The way is what the early Christians called themselves. Right? And this should make us pause that you can know a lot about Jesus. You can know, you can know your Bible. You can know about Christianity. You can, you can know a ton about the resurrection, whatever it is, um, and yet be far from faith in Christ. Now, obviously, I think everyone should go to church, but here's the danger for us churchgoers. It's that week after week, we hear these messages from, from scripture. We, we hear about Jesus, we hear the gospel, we hear about Christianity, and, and our heads get filled up more and more with knowledge, but we're no way changed at all by what we hear. Felix was knowledgeable, right? He knew, at least to some degree, about what Christians believed, how they lived, what they claimed. Paul tells him about Christ, but, but we don't know that he ever actually trusted in Jesus. He doesn't in the book of Acts. He's clearly impacted by the gospel, but his response is to send Paul away. Look at verse 25. In the middle of verse 25, there it says, Felix was alarmed, and he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And we read this, 
this short section, and, and you and I are supposed to ask ourselves, how do I respond? How do I respond to the good news? Whether you call yourself a Christian uh, or, or not, how do you respond to the good news today? Not, not like a decade ago, not when you first maybe came to trust in Jesus, but how do I respond today? When God pricks your heart, are, are you like Felix? Do you yell and, and push him away and say, yeah, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll get back to you later? Or, or do we say, like, like the ones listening way back in the early part of Acts, Peter's first sermon, they're, they're, they're cut to the heart and they say, what do we do? Right? Where they cry out, what shall we do? Well, remember the Philippian jailer in Acts. Um, he, Paul's chained in the jail cell. He'd been talking about Jesus. He'd been singing about Jesus clear into the night. And in the middle of the night, this massive earthquake happens. The, the jail door blows open, chains drop. And, and the jailer who's in charge of all these people, he assumes everyone has escaped. And he's getting ready to kill himself. And Paul yells, stop right? Stop. We're all here. The jail guard brings in torches. He sees that sure enough, all these guys are unchained. The door's open, and yet they're still here. He was, he was a moment away from killing himself. And, and then Paul, he yelled this and, and, and saved his physical life in that moment. And then he falls to his knees, and he says, what must I do to be saved? Right? Evidently, he had heard bits and pieces, at least, of what Paul had been saying, maybe some of, of the songs that he'd been singing. He'd picked up the, some of the message of the gospel. He says, what do I do? And so there are all these instances of, of people in Acts coming in close contact with Christians, hearing the good news, and then responding in faith. But with Felix, we're left hanging. We're wondering. We just know he hears. Actually, it's more than he just hears. We know he was impacted, right? Like I said, he's, he's described as being alarmed, but then, then he sends Paul away. And then over the next two years, it's like he kind of flirts with hearing the gospel, although some of that is just because he wants money from Paul. But nothing ever tells us that Felix responds. So how, what's your response? What's your response to the good news? We can be interested in Jesus. Felix certainly was, right? You, you might find the news of the gospel. You might find Jesus himself to be really fascinating, right? You can have a history with the church, a history with the Bible. Drusilla did, right? She was Jewish. She had knowledge of the Old Testament and the Jewish practices and customs. But interest and knowledge, those don't save you. Those are not faith in Jesus, right? You can even have some sort of heartfelt response, Right, the gospel struck a nerve in Felix. He was alarmed. I think God in that moment pricked his heart. I suspect that it's when, when Paul was speaking about judgment that was coming. But he sends Paul away. Right, you, you can have the most tangible response, the most emotional response as, as we're singing or as you read scripture or hear a sermon. Right, you can have this strong, emotional, even cathartic response and still not turn to Jesus in faith. Right, turning away from your sin and self and following Jesus as the Lord of your life. And Jesus saves, like I said earlier, not only from sin, that's, that is true, he saves from sin, but he saves you into a relationship with him, into fellowship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, being reconciled in the relationship with God that you and I were made for. So if the gospel if the gospel's making more and more sense to you, like maybe you've been coming to church for a bit now, maybe you didn't grow in church, up in church, maybe you did, but, but for whatever reason, God's been stirring in you, and, and like Felix, you find yourself to be interested. 
You know, you've heard more and more about faith in Christ. You're coming to see that truly there is no one like this king, like this God that we, we speak of and that we sing to. And are you ready to respond today to Jesus? And, and, and for those who know Christ, the, the, the same question, are we ready to respond? Yes, you've responded in faith to Jesus. Do you continue to respond? We're gonna, we're gonna uh, have communion in just a little bit, but I wanna read, uh, I wanna read a passage um, where Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he's, he's been talking about communion, and he says this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this, is, uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And, and this, is, this is what he says next. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right? The, the word proclaim, it can also be preach. Right? This is what we do when we take this meal together, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're proclaiming the gospel message to ourselves and to each other because we need to continue to respond to this good news. So are you responding? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to just be in a smaller section today and, and, and see some unique things that I think Luke left here for us. Like he's, he's showing us, yep, yet the setting doesn't matter. Wherever we are, we want to be a people that talk about you, Jesus. And yes, the, the core of the gospel message is the same, but let's not be lazy. Let's find ways to connect people to the gospel. Let's tell them, uh, let's tell them the good news, Jesus, that, that you do save from sin and, and save us into fellowship with you, God. Or would we, would we be a people that are, are so hungry to respond to you, Lord. Yeah, they're, they're Martha-like things we need to do, but Jesus, would we never get sick of sitting at your feet? And, and not only not get sick of it, but Lord, would it be our priority? Would we just want to go down all these rabbit trails uh, of, of who you are and just, just being blown away, savoring how truly magnificent you are, Lord? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.